Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Wednesday, everybody. How y'all doing? Got a great show planned for you. Question of the Night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. Uh, later in the show, we're going to be talking about love languages. Yep, something that's often misunderstood often misused and um i think it's one of the more important pop psychology cliches you know the the guy who came up with it it was a really profound thing at the time it's needed it's definitely needed to change and evolve a little bit left out some other forms of you know love expression and ways that people receive love but uh, we'll talk a little bit about it um i wanted to just open up by reminding us to really check in with ourselves you know, again, pandemic's happening, but now we're really dealing with some election stress. I'm seeing more of it more, you know, more and more come in. So, you know, the best way to always really know where we're at is to check in with our bodies. Our bodies are where we feel emotions and emotions aren't necessarily, um, I, I, would, I would say it like this. Our thought process is sometimes a little more difficult to work with, but first start with your body. Our emotions aren't going to lie. They're a beautiful, beautiful beginning place. doesn't mean it's the place from which we should always act. Sometimes we have to really process and digest before we speak from, act from, or relate from our emotional experience. But right now, check in and just ask yourself, how am I feeling? Am I feeling grounded? Am I feeling stable? Am I feeling anxious? And if you're feeling anxious, it might be, again, because of your, you know, not setting the boundaries that are needed. I often take uh, time away from people having access to me. I have a lot of people constantly reaching out about media things or people wanting to get into my office clinically that aren't a client and want to kind of make appointment. Um, requests for all different things, friends reaching out. And remember, technology is something that you want to use, not have used against you. And now that technology exists, cell phones and emails, a lot of people think that that means they can access you whenever they want. And people on the receiving end don't realize that we get to decide when and how people have access to us. And this is one of the really important um, self-care skills that I teach my clients. You know, people think because they have your phone number, your email, that they can reach out at any time. And, I, you know, that's on them. But you don't have to read, as we've talked about, a text message or an email if you're not really in a space to receive it. And I take entire days off. I'm, I'm not, I don't do anything in my life that puts me, you know, needing to be on call. I don't do any kind of crisis management. And... If you're in an area, you can do that. Put your phone in a drawer. I realize that's what I have to do, and I take hours and hours away, sometimes entire days. Um, and it's a boundary. People have to wait until I you know, have the time, energy, or even just the desire to respond or get back to someone. So remember, you have a right to decide who engages you, when they engage you, and how they engage you. You can wait days to respond to an email. That's okay. There is no right time. 
um, your job might have its own expectations or whatnot, and you have to decide how you're going to encounter that. I, I personally take days off if needed, but you know, again, we want to think about who's calling. Is it that friend or that, or your mother? And they're going to pull you into something that you don't feel like you have the energy of the bandwidth to show up to or engage. Is it emails around bills? I mean, there's so many different things that can constantly be coming at us. I, I don't, I don't answer my phone anymore. <laughs> Everything goes to voicemail. Um, people that know me personally will text. Um, if someone needs me professionally, they'll email. So you start to set the boundaries as to who can access you and when you can. And that's a really important part of mental health, right? So set those boundaries. Um, but with the election stress, it's the same thing. Just because news is existing or happening or people want to talk about what they think or feel about a, a, the, a, the most recent update with the election, you can say, hey, listen, I'm going to stop you. I actually want to break from this. My body and my psyche need a break from hearing about the election or what that you know trash can fire of a president is doing. So again, you're allowed to tell people, I don't want to talk about that or not right now. And if that friend's calling and you know that they're always asking for something, it's okay to let it go to voicemail and get back to them within days if that's how long it takes. Because again, your mental health matters most. It has to come before your job. It has to come before your friends. It has to come before your family. And that's not being self-centered. It's called being self-centering, right? And you, you get to take care of yourself. I want us to be available and caring and compassionate towards others, but you really have to center your mental health first. And I even see that on social media posts where you post a comment, um, even when I post things and people show up wanting to battle or debate and you know, I had, to, I had to remind myself, that doesn't mean I have to respond at all. That doesn't mean I have to allow them access to my page. I block people all the time if they annoy me. It's a privilege to be able to access the information that I put out there on my social media. Um, I don't have to give that to everyone. No one has a right to that, right? I get to decide who gets to be a part of that. I also get to, you know, I get to decide, I'm saying all this to inspire you to figure out how you can translate it into your specific world. But um, I don't give people the right to you know, negatively impact my day. So I ignore, I can block. If I have the energy, the willingness, I will educate. But you get to decide what role you play, you know? And, and right now, a lot of us are really looking at the roles we've played or more importantly, the roles others have played in our lives. And now's a really important time to kind of weed out those people that really historically haven't been good for us, you know? And I know that that can lead to some loneliness, but it's also a really good time to rebuild some relationships. So interesting times constantly, you know, but, um, take care of yourselves. You know, that's really what it's about. Your, your mental health matters. Um, all right, y'all, we're going to talk about something, you know, very similar to what we we're just talking about, the health of our friends around us and how that impacts us. Cause our mental health is about those around us powerfully. Our psyche is a relational, relational organ, the brain separated only by skin. All right, y'all, you're listening to love line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Time to talk about mental health. <laughs> What's funny is I think some people, I don't know how you perceive some of the, you know, segments and topics we get into. Everything's always tied to mental health though, you know? I think we're finally starting to get better at understanding how mental health is really an aspect of everything. You know, just how we'll talk in certain social justice circles about how everything is political and every decision you make, every everything you put your money towards is all rooted in some kind of politic or ethic, but more importantly, our mental health is in there. 
And, you know, I've talked extensively about how in our culture we overly prioritize physical health, right? Where if someone has an injury that we can literally see that we're more willing to legitimize or validate that. Although some people have more of what we call an invisible disability. And those individuals that are using as they should, their um, placards for special parking or access, people will harass them if they don't see visually the injury, right? Because again, we want to be able to visualize. We really overly trust our senses in that way. And for some individuals, again, the the disability isn't something you can see. Um, other, you know, certain impairments, energy and fatigue issues, et cetera, et cetera. But mental health, again, is not visual. Mental health is a consistent most of the time, although some symptoms have a physical expression, but it's it's an invisible injury. And it's hard for some people to be taken seriously, especially if it's ongoing, right? We would never tell someone to hurry up and get over a broken bone, right? But people will do that with mood struggles. You know, can you hurry up and get over the depression or can you hurry up and get, let go of that trauma? It just doesn't work that way. So I'm so thankful to be part of a time when we're starting to legitimize mental health issues. And, and that's why I love being a part of this project and other things I do is just giving some credence to that, that just because you can't see it or you don't relate to it doesn't mean that it's not real. And more importantly, not reducing the impact it might have on others. Now, the reason why I bring all this up is one a really important part of mental health and it's coming up consistently now is you know the health of those around you and we've talked a lot about the impact of people's political positions so this is not about that but it's the brother of that it's you know and i'm seeing this in my office a lot it came in a lot this week and that's one of the reasons why i wanted to really talk about it on the show is um, how healthy are your friends? You know, our mental health is tied to the health of those around us, the health of the people we spend the most time around. Often, people have more of a negative influence on us than we can maybe have of a positive influence on them. And we get to really pay attention to how we feel when we're around certain people. So that's always the first place I say for people to go is to check in with their body. How do I feel when I see that text message coming in? How do I feel when I see them calling? How do I feel when I think about spending time with them? And start there. If I don't feel good, I don't feel safe, I feel bad, ask yourself what's that about? Because maybe that's a sign I shouldn't be making plans with this person or maybe I shouldn't have them in my life at all. Maybe I shouldn't be taking their phone call. And also remember, just because someone emails you or calls you or texts you doesn't mean you have to engage it or read it. I tell people, check in on your mental health. Am I in a position to bring them into my psyche? Because to read someone's email or listen to a voicemail is to bring them in. They might not physically be welcomed in, but you are psychologically welcoming them in. You're spending time with them. And so you have a right to say, not, not now. And some individuals I work with take days before they listen to a voicemail or open an email or maybe reply because they're just not ready and they're setting a really healthy boundary. Just because someone has your number and can call you or has your email can email you doesn't mean they have a right to be accessing you. You have a right to ignore, you have a right to bypass, you have a right You have a right to take time. Mental health has to come first, we have nothing without that. And that's why I get so frustrated when people talk about physical health but ignore mental health because then we're leaving a huge piece out, right? I talk a lot about that with the fitness community. We don't always pay attention to the f- mental health impact of our workout plan or our diet plan. And if we're not, or we are, and it's making us miserable, then that is not healthy. It's not, the aesthetic can't always be tied to, to health and often it's not at all. So I say that to, to say, if you're struggling, look around and take note and say, well, what do I, how do I feel around these people? But then also the second piece is, like I said, the first piece is when I think of being around them, but how do you feel while around them? And then the final piece is always, how do I feel after I've left spending time with them? 
if you have a friend base or people in your life where after you've interacted with them via email, phone call, time together, if you feel bad or worse off, and that's pretty much a consistent thing, that's not, those, that person's not good for your mental health. That's not the point of having relationships in our lives. It should be things that enhance us or at least are neutral. And again, a friend coming to you with issues and struggles is not what I'm talking about because that shouldn't be something that leaves you worse off. We have to be able to be present in those ways to people because as we've said, or as I've said, intimacy is really built when we share our more broken, vulnerable, raw parts. It's great to have friends that you can laugh with and experience joyful things. That's necessary. But that's not always the most deepening. That's not always when we feel the closest or safest. It's with the people that we can show our ugly, raw parts to. So that I love. It's when we feel worse off, though, because of the way they talk to us, about us, their value system, what we do when we're with them, the parts of ourselves that they bring out. I mean, that's what we're really looking at and what we're really assessing. And that's where it's going to impact your mental health. So, you know, when you're assessing those that are in your life, that's part of what I want you to do to make those determinants. Because the environment, right? And there's this really beautiful plant meme and metaphor that goes around where it says, you know, when a plant isn't thriving, right? You pay attention to the environment in which it's planted. Is it planted in healthy soil? Is that plant getting the sunlight and the water it needs? Because if not, then of course the plant won't thrive and you can't blame the plant. And we see that in treatment centers with drugs and alcohol. You can't take someone out of a really horrible environment that's led to the drug and alcohol use, get them off drugs and alcohol and drop them back in that environment and think that they're going to do well. Same thing with the plant. You have to really look where it's where it's planted and what, what kind of nutrients and, and, and needs are being accessed and available. Like all of that really, really matters. So I'm glad we're finding, finally starting to draw attention to that. Really hard because you start to realize that there's some people that maybe you've outgrown or don't have the maturity that you're looking for and that's a part of being an adult. I sadly say to everyone I work with, the healthier you get, the smaller the social and dating pool becomes because you really want people to meet you where you're at you know, in terms of health and everything else. It's tough stuff, but it's really important. Um, coming up next though, we're gonna talk about this whole love language thing, also often misunderstood. So it's kind of a show of a lot of myth busting. So join us for that. Also, uh, Question of the Night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. So we'll be back, seven minutes, seven minute promise. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're gonna talk a little bit about those love languages. Now, not everyone's even familiar with the concept and that's okay. Um, there was a book out, came from a book. I think the work has evolved. And basically it's just this idea that a lot of couples, the issues they have are rooted in the partner not knowing how the other best hears, feels, and receives love. So the love language concept is this whole thing where you say, wait a minute, let me sit with and talk to my partner and figure out how do they best feel loved? What can I do that best communicates that. Is it acts of service where I do things for them, right? Maybe um, pack them a lunch, make their coffee in the morning. You know, it's acts of service, right? Putting yourself out for them, putting them before you. It's also people that like words of affirmation where you're complimenting them, letting them know they're cared for. It really means a lot when they hear things. Others, it's more around purchasing gifts for them. Did you buy me something? Did you take time out of your day and your money to purchase something for me? Um, there's all different kinds of ways. They, they've collapsed them down, I think, into five, but there's far more than that. Some people, it's more erotic and sexual where feeling desired and attractive and you wanting to touch them and kiss them and have sex with them, whether it's through a text you're letting them know or vocally or with your hand. Whatever it is, that is meaningful and powerful. But the whole point of the love languages where people get confused is it's about knowing your partner's love language. How do they best receive and feel loved? And then you give that to them in that way. It's not about what you want or how you like to offer it. It's about how they need it given, right? So it's about the other. 
Now, someone wrote me a DM and I loved it. And they said, well, isn't it also though, maybe about realizing how your partner prefers to give it and getting familiar and seeing the love and the way they deliver it? Absolutely, it's both. So if you're someone who really likes words of affirmation, let your partner know, hey, it means a lot when I hear you say complimentary things. Words of affirmation are meaningful, great. But then you should also say, and I realize that for you, you like to best show me that I'm loved by buying me things. And so when you purchase something for me, I will now try to see the love that that's communicating, the love in that, right? So it's both. But couples go wrong when they just say, well, this is how I do it. This is how I show you that I love you. Don't you know that I love you? I'm always blah, blah, blah. And the answer is, well, no, because that's what works for you. (laughs) But if you're trying to make me feel loved, you need to do it in the ways that I feel loved. Sex is the same way. This comes up when people are flirting and sexting and courting. People will sext you and flirt with you and romance you and court you based on how they like to be courted and romanced and sexed. So if they love really raw, honest sexuality, that's what you're gonna get. And so a lot of people will have that coming at them and they're thinking, I don't, I'm not feeling aroused by this. I'm not feeling cared for, I'm not feeling turned on. Ah, because you have to let them know how to best do it in a way that turns you on. I've had to say it to some people. Hey, um, I know we're sexting and flirting right now, but the way you're doing it isn't actually what turns me on. It would be hotter to me if you dot, dot, dot. Now it's about accommodating both because there's two people. Whenever there's two people involved in something, it is about both of them. How do we both get our needs met? And so there is somewhat of a negotiation, but it doesn't always have to be about them. And that can happen. Well, we always have sex in the ways that they enjoy. Well, here's what I'd like to do. And I want the partner to be like, I hear you. Let's do it that way sometimes. It isn't always only about me, right? We have flexibility in all of these different domains. And so check in on that. Is the way I'm expressing romance, the way that my partner hears romance and feels loved? If not, change it. Ask them. Is the way we have sex centered in only what turns me on and makes me feel hot? If so, it's a little self-centered. There's space for that. But what are the ways that my partner most feels erotic and turned on? Let me ask them. A lot of people have never even asked. They just assume that the way we do it is the way that everyone makes everyone happy. Not necessarily true. Not everyone feels like they're in a relationship where they can speak up. Some people, based on other identities and spaces that they occupy in the world, don't feel empowered enough to speak up. They've been in relationships that have reinforced that people don't care about your needs or look out for your needs. So like all of that's in there. And so it's a conversation. It's a negotiation. But talk about these things. Hey, honey, do you feel loved by me? What do I do that feels best to you? Hey, honey, what do I do that makes you feel most turned on and aroused and interested in sexuality with me? And then we do more of that. But again, it's important to also know what your partner enjoys and maybe being able to translate, ah, when, when he or she does that, that's them telling me they love me. Let me start to see that and feel that when they do that. But it's about both because every relationship is a feedback loop, right? And we don't want to be self-centered. So it's not good enough to just say, this is how I do it. Because they could also take that position and be like, well, and this is how I do it. And there's a stalemate in that. So it's always about, I want to be available to making you feel loved and cared for and erotic. And so what do I need in order to do that? And I'll share with you what I need. And we'll try to do a culmination of both, right? Where you'll see it in the ways I express it, but I also want to make sure I sometimes directly do it in the way that is feeling best and clearest to you. Because there's more than one person in this relationship, right? It's always about that. It's always an us and a we not just an I and a me. And that's when you know you're not really in a relationship with the right perspective when you're always thinking, me, 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 what do I need, what do I want, what about me? It's like, well, what about this other person too, right? So we gotta kind of flip that a little bit. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're gonna be sliding on into those DMs. Question of the Night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page in the story, so weigh in on that. And I hope you're also checking out my live stream show, I'm Listening Live, which is every Thursday night. 
5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, live on all the radio.com handles. So that's their Twitter, their YouTube, and their Facebook. And you can also go there to check out past episodes. Celebrities, experts talking about mental health and uh, COVID. And Loveline is podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. So you can go back, check out all those past episodes. Uh, yep, coming up next, DMs. Uh, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex of world. We want you to explore with confidence. Our DMs always come from our Loveline IG page. Slide on in there. Drop us your question. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, let's see. This one says, ah, I love it. I love it when it all comes together topically. I swear that we, we don't really plan that out. <laughs> this one just kind of ties right in with the election stress. Synchronicity at its best, I promise. Hey, Dr. Chris, last week, you talked about how election stress can really get to you and some things we can do to cut it out of our lives. Well, try to ignore it, but then I feel almost dumb for ignoring it because we should know what's going on in our country, but then I want to crawl back into a hole after watching the news for 10 minutes. Is there another way we can stay up to date but not stressed? Or is this just what our life is going to be like moving forward? Well, first off, you don't have to know what's going on in the country, actually. You're allowed to decide what parts. Because remember, that that level of news is one of many. Um, I don't keep up to date moment by moment. I'm not a political correspondent. I'm not a journalist. I don't want to be. I, I don't. I am often many days behind because I don't prioritize um, what's going on in that sector over other sectors. I'm more interested and care more about social politics, what's going on in terms of activism, social justice, and mental health. And so I'm one of those people where I often hear about things hours or days after they happen because I don't need to know moment by moment. I don't need to know day by day or week by week. You know, um, I keep up just enough. I know what's going on politically just enough. I don't need to know every little update about, you know, scary Amy um, getting voted in. I don't need to know every micro moment about what, you know, creepy Trump is doing, you know, and you don't either. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you say. And yeah, you got to go up against this social pressure that we somehow say, you know, intelligence is tied to the understanding of what's going on in a certain sector and level of political functioning. It doesn't. That's one. You know, you can do that. You can weaponize that in reverse as well. Well, congrats on knowing moment by moment about Trump. But can you even explain to me what self-care is? Can you even explain to me what mental health looks like? Can you explain to me the ways that you're setting boundaries and taking care of yourself? A lot of people haven't done that work. I think that's stupid. You know, because that's about your psyche. That's about your mental health. That impacts everything. Start there. So I'm more worried about people not focusing on taking care of themselves. But you're allowed to be partaking in whatever's of interest to you. If politics on that level don't interest you, then don't partake in that. But everything is political and we're all impacted. And I agree with you in that naivety isn't, well, naivety is a sign of a lot of privilege, right? Because those that are deeply impacted tend to be more, more on point. But you're allowed to take a break. You're allowed to be days behind. And if someone challenges your intelligence because of that, you get to push back on that saying, well, listen, there's a lot of different kinds of intelligence <laughs> and intelligence and knowledge are two separate things. And you're talking about knowledge, knowing facts. And I can Google that on the fly at any moment if needed. I don't need to know it right now. And so I'm taking a break. But more importantly, I want people to understand mental health. That should be all I have to say. You know what? For my mental health, I've taken a break for the week from politics or for my mental health. I've actually gotten all I needed to know about, you know, Trump and Biden. I've, I voted and now I'm backing out until the election because I'm prioritizing my mental health. And I want people to get comfortable hearing that when you say, I'm sorry, I can't go to your wedding. 
I know it's the most important day of your life, but for me, my mental health or my financial health, I can't go. Thank you for inviting me to your family barbecue. I can't go. Thank you for offering me that work opportunity. I can't do that right now. I want people to get more familiar hearing us set boundaries around what we need. And this whole idea, though, that you have to know moment by moment about politics in order to be seen as intelligent, when, again, we're talking about knowledge, um, isn't fair. Please take care of yourself. Please don't know what's going on if that's hard for you. Because what's the use of you knowing everything if it's negatively impacting you, you know? And... Yeah, I don't agree with that. I'm sorry that that's happening. So I guess this is a message to those listening. Don't do that to people, you know? Um, but again, as I said, you've got my support because I'm often left out of knowing a lot on that level, which is also I don't talk about that stuff. I, I do my research. I know what's going on to the extent I need to, but I focus more on mental health. I'm a therapist, you know? So be where you're at. Do what you love. Focus more on joy, you know? All right, y'all. Coming up next, we're going to be doing some love language talk, and you can check out old Love Line episodes, you know, something to do with your time. Keep it positive. That's how you focus on mental health. Listen to more of Love Line, you know, and that's over at wearechannelq.com. As is my live stream show, I'm listening live, which is on all the radio.com handles, so check that out. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Oh man, so much going on. It's like I can't. I, it's like I can't even script some of what's going on. Um, and again, we were talking last week a little bit about uh, the anxiety of the election and the politics. So I understand that this is all happening in the context of that, which has been going on for a while. So let me also take a quick moment and just remind everyone: if you have not registered to vote, get on that and get in it. We got we got we got work to do. So. Oh gosh, last week, uh, Amy Coney Barrett uh, really upset people. She was getting criticized for some commentary and this thing has been echoing on. So I wanted, I didn't talk about this last week. I really just thought it was gonna be a bump in the road, but it's still going on and it's her whole use of the word sexual preference. Now, there's a lot of reasons why this is important. So, I'm, I'm, you know, as always, I use a lot of events as just a springboard into a topic and I don't really, I don't wanna get into specifics of it. Um, so many articles out there if you wanna, Read more about how heinous Amy is. Not a feminist. She's rolling back rights. She's not a friend for women. She's definitely a tool of the patriarchy. She is a misogynist, a sexist. She's going to take away, you know, reproductive justice, the steps we've made in that route. I mean, it's a mess. But basically what happened was is she was referring to the LGBTQIA community and their sexualities as a preference, right? As though it's, you know, oh, I prefer vanilla over chocolate ice cream, right? And that's offensive. <laughs> um, and her apology is a technique that a lot of people from conservative backgrounds, uh, Catholicism, Christianity, and all sorts of different politics that they definitely use. Um, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry if I upset you or if you were offended, well, then I apologize, right? So they're apologizing for upsetting you. They're not apologizing for the prejudicial or discriminatory perspective or opinion that they have that started the issue. That they're okay with. I'm okay being a bigot, basically, they're saying. But if my bigotry upsets you, I'm sorry for that. Now, that is not what we call a true apology. Because <laughs> that viewpoint and the damage and violence that it does, like someone, you know, Amy, um, creates, continues to exist, right? So the apology shows no sign of change. It shows uh, no regret. It's just basically shutting you up. So it's an attempt to appease you. Now, here's my stance. Uh, for, for people, sexual orientation, uh, especially around gender choice, is pretty hardwired 
you know, we, we've outlawed finally in most places conversion therapy, which is the idea that you can make someone a different sexual orientation. Not only has that been shown to be not able to be done, it's also shown to be very traumatic and increases mental health issues and also rates of suicide. So it's been banned by all the mental health bodies. However, some local laws allow to exist. Disgusting. I'm glad we can't change people's sexual orientations. No one's, no one's needs to be. You're allowed to be aroused by whatever you want to be aroused by. What you're responsible for is the impact and what you do with it, having boundaries and impulse control and consent and understanding impact and not wanting to harm. But my issue is this, uh, I understand where it's important legally and for social rights to be talking about it being hardwired, but for some people there are elements that are a choice. And my point in saying that is that it doesn't matter whether it's by birth, genetics, or choice, it has a right to be respected and is valid. And there's a need to talk about any preference still being valid and legitimate. Because the science is very flawed when they're trying to find a gay gene because gay is a very big word and it means a lot of different things to different people and there's no way to really talk about what gay person you're referring to and genes don't work like that. There's no direct cause from one gene that we can locate that says it does this for everyone. You know, sexual orientation, as I talk about all the time, is a very gigantic constellation. There's no such thing as just a gay person. All gay people are different. There's not a gay community. There's gay communities. The black gay people, trans gay, upper class, lower class, all these different elements start to shape and change how someone relates to the gender that they're attracted to. It's far bigger. No one just likes men and all men. No, there's specificities. There's con- context. There's, you know, and so there are there are preferential pieces in there. But my bigger point again is I don't care if being LGBTQIA is genetic, if it is a result of trauma, if it is a preference, it's healthy, it's legitimate, it's valid, and you deserve respect, and you deserve all the rights and protections in the world. I don't want to have to rely upon it being a genetic outcome for it to have legitimacy. Forget that, that's crap. And that allows a lot of loopholes and problematic gray areas. People have a right to get respect and, and, and honor and value because they are a human being and they get to make whatever choices they want, orientatively, preferentially, I do not care. You have a right, you are valid, and it exists. And that's what we need to start doing because that's true acceptance. That is true celebration. I don't want mere appeasement where we're willing to uh, allow and acknowledge something because it's beyond your control. No, you shouldn't have to have control or lack of control for it to have worth and value. And it gets really sticky when we think it does. And so that's why we need to push back on that part right? And that's why you got to vote y'all because there are a lot of really problematic Christians who aren't actually Christian. They might label themselves as Christian, but if you do any deep dive and understand Christianity, it's about love and acceptance. Jesus was hanging out with beggars, poor people, the sick, uh, people that are sex workers. Jesus was hanging out with the radicals. He was on the fringe. He was not hanging out with white, cis, healthy, well, um, I'm sorry, with white, wealthy, cis people. That's not who he was kicking it with. Okay. Go read your Bible. It was about love and acceptance, and he was all about hanging out with the people on the fringe. And a lot of people leave Christianity not because of God, not because of Jesus, but because of the institutions. And anything institutionalized becomes problematic immediately. So, anyway, y'all have my full support. However, you landed with your LGBTQIA identity, you are valid. I see you. You deserve respect. Whether it's from a trauma, great. Welcome to being gay. Even if it's a trauma response, gay is a great place to be. So welcome to that world. Even if it's a preference, enjoy your bisexuality and you have a right and it's valid, right? That's my point. Enough said on that one. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about how we sometimes use toxic positivity to bypass being an actual human and it gets in the way of relationships. We're going to unpack that a little bit. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back and we're going to talk about something that 
Man, I wrote an article on it, on toxic positivity. If you want to read more about it, you can go on my Medium page. Medium is a uh, platform that hosts writers' articles. It's, it sounds like it's spelled Medium. And you just Google Chris Donahue, Dr. Chris Donahue Media. My page will come up. A lot of articles there. And I was talking about toxic positivity because some people actually think that the goal of mental health is you got to be happy. Look on the bright side. No. Mental health is about feeling all emotions. No emotions are good or bad. They're just different energies in our bodies. And uh, you got to feel them all. That's, that's humanity. But we still have an idea for some that we should never feel bad. You know, life is great. Look around. Why are you sad? Well, because I'm experiencing sadness in my body. That's why. Or because something sad happened or I encountered an experience that was worthy of sadness. That's why I'm sad. We have to stop pathologizing that and being afraid of that. I talked on another segment about how it's also gender. Gender training, sadly, sets us up to only be able or confident feeling certain emotions. We really limit people as we raise them, when we hang out with them, and just even in media, uh, we have certain demands on them. Well, as a man, you know, you need to toughen. What? No. We all need to go back to truth and authenticity. And emotions aren't gendered. Gender doesn't exist in, in reality. Gender is something we created, this idea that if you have a certain genitalia, then you should be dressing and looking a certain way. Gender is performative. It's a choice. Every day we choose to perform our gender if we choose that. And every day we choose how we're going to do that if we choose that. Um, no one is genetically or born liking dresses or pants, short hair, or long hair, or certain colors of objects. That is a socialization. How do we know that? Because over the course of time in history and in different cultures, it was shown and expressed differently because we are socialized into that. Now, we also do that with, like I said, emotions, where we've deemed a certain set of them as bad or wrong. You got to get over them quickly. Oh, someone that was important to you passed away. Get over that grief as soon as possible. No. Be with your emotions as long as you need to be. Now, again, reality is also acknowledging that as much as rough things are happening right now, let's look Let's look at the current state of the world. The election, forest fires, unemployment, COVID. There's also some really beautiful things that are happening at the same time. So mental health is definitely about acknowledging and holding space for both. But we're allowed to occupy one or the other as for lengths of time and with a lot of depth. And this toxic positivity is the idea that positivity can be used in a toxic way where it's weaponized and people are shamed for feeling a full range of human emotion. And I see it even in my couple sessions sometimes where an individual is told to get over something, get over that sadness, get over your frustration. We're happy. We have a home. We have all these things. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But I don't want to deny or minimize my emotional experience. That's what makes me human. And that's also how we connect with people through our emotions, right? That's such a huge bonder. Don't, don't limit or remove or shame that, right? And it's also this idea of thinking beyond and outside of ourselves. People have different experiences of the same thing. Uh, just like if you go see a movie with someone, you could have left the theater thinking, oh my God, what a beautiful story. It was so smart. It was so funny. It was so poignant. I loved it. And then you turn to the person who literally just sat for two hours through the same thing as you. And they're like, that was horrible. It wasn't relatable. It wasn't well-written. I didn't like it. And then you start to maybe question your experience. Oh, well, maybe, no, stop. You're both right. You're both right. You both had the same experience. You had completely different outcomes or perspectives or analysis of it, and you're both right. But as humans, we really struggle to hold opposites. In Jungian, there, in Jungian psychology, it's called the tension of opposites, knowing that both can exist at the same time. Holding something that sounds hypocritical is holding something that challenges itself. That's, that's the beautiful work, and that's also part of healthy relationship is letting your partner have a very different experience from you. 
And that can happen with emotions where you're having a great day and they're having a horrible day and you need to attend to and be present with both. Or like I said, something like a movie or a vacation where for you it's so ideal to go on a vacation where you are gonna be very active and in the sun and the other person says, I want to just sit and relax. My life is already very active. I wanna just sit and heal. And both are correct and both are right. And so a lot of healthy, you know, a lot of making a relationship healthy over the long term is being able to allow both that no one has to be correct. Because that's what a lot of couples fights are about. Whose version is gonna be correct? Whose version is gonna be right? And like my movie example, you'll see often one or both partners trying to convince the other one to agree with them. And the whole fight is about that. I want my version to be correct. Why? You have to hold both. It was both good and bad at the same time, right? And that's the work of healthy relationship. How can I honor both? How can I think outside of myself? How can I also validate my partner while validating myself? Because to let them have their experience isn't to invalidate or take away from yours. It's both. It's called being a whole object. There's a whole psychological theory called object relations, which is actually super interesting. And it talks about how we tend to see people as one or the other. Think about it also like this. We love someone. Oh my God, I love my boyfriend, you'll say. Such a great guy. And then in the course of one second, you get a text message and you're like, I hate him. He is the worst. I can't even stand this guy. And it's like, wait a minute. Seconds ago, he was all good. Now he's all bad. We struggle to say he's both. And I'd want you to get that text and be like, wow, the same guy that I love so powerfully a second ago is now also someone I feel so much anger towards at the same time. He's both. And how do I move forward honoring and seeing him as both? That's the difficult challenge. And we have to do that with a lot of people in our lives. Yes, you have to have boundaries. And yes, you decide that certain things are not gonna be acceptable and you won't allow them. And yes, we remove toxic people from our lives. That's not what I'm talking about though, right? Because to hold that both someone is someone we love and we're upset with is not the same thing as saying they're toxic. Remove toxic people or set boundaries until toxic people work on themselves or get better or have accountability or apology. Because again, we gotta be here for that transformation. If people are willing to work and be better, we accept them back. Once they've really done the work and shown that they're safe and they've apologized, we bring them back. But in those moments, we don't wanna convince people out of their reality. Let it be both. The movie was good for me, bad for you, great. Let's go get ice cream. Non-dairy, but let's go get ice cream. Um, also, letting them be a total person where when they let us down, we still have to acknowledge it's also the person I love and I gotta hold both. And we're gonna still go for ice cream, non-dairy, and I'm going to sit maybe while we have ice cream with the person I love because the thing you said that upset me, I'm gonna sit and process more, but we're out of the house. I, I love the day we've had thus far and so I'm gonna to choose to acknowledge you upset me. I'm gonna work on that, maybe we'll come back to that, but right now I'm gonna to relate to you from the part of you that I loved right before. You know, being in a relationship is tough. All right, y'all, two minute promise. We'll be back in uh, two minutes. Uh, question of the night, still some time to weigh in on that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we're back. And before we do question of the night, I wanted to just, <laughs> I, was I was telling a friend the other day about interesting celebrity stories on dating apps. Um, they're on there. I know it's maybe an LA thing, so if you're not living in LA, you're not gonna see them, but Sharon Stone you know, came out, was talking about Bumble. Um, this was actually maybe last year. She was saying that you know she had gotten booted off Bumble because they didn't think it was really her. Prez Hilton said the same thing happened to him on uh, Tinder. And now Sam Smith, 
he got kicked off of Hinge recently because people thought it was he was fake. <laughs> Yo, celebrities need love too. <laughs> and that's the funny thing. People are like, oh, dating online. Yeah, that's right. Everyone's doing it. Get familiar with it. I was shocked to hear that some people still have guilt or shame about acknowledging that. Like, oh, we'll just pretend we met somewhere else. Why? Say you met online. I've met my past three serious relationships online. Two of them were sex first, supposed to just be a hookup. And so I tell people, if you're looking for love, hook up. There's so many different ways to meet people, and that's a really powerful one. And if you're looking for love, you might miss out. I, My fiance, I met that way. So don't knock it, man. Um, all the celebrities are on there too because people are busy. People don't want to have to go out to a bar. People don't want to be having to hit people up, you know, ask them out at a supermarket, you know. So much more consent, at least from the entry point on an app. People are there for a purpose. They're okay with you engaging them around that. It's a lot harder in the world right now, and people are trying to honor people's boundaries, which I'm thankful for. Um, it's okay to still hit on someone in, in real time, but just do it with care and respect and consent. And if they're not interested, back off and back away. Um, there's a great meme that went around where a little boy said to his parent, like, I asked out so-and-so and they said no. And the parent said, ah, so you know what you need to do now. And the boy said, keep asking. And the parent was like, no, let them, let her be, leave her alone. She said no. <laughs> like, and that's such a beautiful, beautiful statement. If you ask someone out and they say no, or they look uncomfortable, they ignore you, bam, it is done. Turn and walk away. I still see it sometimes where someone asks someone out and the person is not interested and they keep pushing and asking questions. And it's like, dear God in heaven, do you see how uncomfortable you're making them? They, do they look interested? You know, signs of interest are usually pretty freaking powerful, but um, yeah, let's do better. But you know, even the celebrities, big ones out there who are trying to, trying to find love on the apps, you know what I mean? And I just share that to remind you all that everyone's in it with you. It's easy to think that you're the only single person in the world, right? And you see people on IG and they're in love and they're traveling and they're doing all these things. And it's like, yeah, good. You know, be happy for them, but you don't have to feel a loss in your life because you don't have that. Um, it's also part of us needing to really normalize singledom. It's always seen as, as a step that should be on its way to relationship when it can just be a landing point in its own. Right. But we see it as like something that should be seen and treated as temporary only that you should be trying to work out of and get rid of as soon as possible. That's not true. And that's not fair. Singledom is an acceptable goal. Some people should be working towards it and staying there. That's okay. It's okay to be there temporarily. It's okay to be taking time off. Um, a lot of meaningful things. Now, if you don't want to be single, I don't think you should learn and practice being single. I hate when I hear people say, oh, good time to learn how to be single. Well, no, not if that's not what you're looking for. It's like telling someone who wants a job but is unemployed, oh, learn how to be unemployed. Well, yeah, but at the same time, if it's not what you want, I would keep working towards laying down the foundation and conditions upon which what you do want can emerge. So anyway, we'll talk more about that on another one. Let's get to the uh, question of the night. All right, so this one, according to the U.S. National Library of Medicine, 92.7%, so let's just say 93, of people who had kids said that their children have had online learning experiences. Another 85% say that their kids are better at technology at a younger age than they were. Do you think it's good that our children are forced into learning technology so young? First person said, it's good that they're learning, but it just sucks under these conditions. Sure dares. Somebody else said, definitely great that they're learning technology. That's our future. I agree. It's a skill set. You want to participate in the world fully, socially, professionally, creatively. You got to understand how to engage and utilize technology. It, it can be very helpful. It can also work against us. So that's part of learning how to use it is setting boundaries, not letting people constantly have access to you because they can call your email you, not constantly not being present to other parts of your life because you're on your phone flipping. I think I told you the story. I went on a date once someone with someone. And on the first date at the gallery I love, looking at art, they were on their phone the whole time. And I thought, dear God. 
not only you're not, you know, showing up to me, but you're missing out on all these beautiful, beautiful things that are hanging on the wall. Anyway, clearly I didn't have a second date with that one. Well, I actually did, to be honest. <laughs> the chemistry was there and I was like, let me give it one more shot. And I turned out to be correct. So we had one more, we had one more date. I needed to further explore, you know, because when in doubt, give it one more time. Anyway, uh, let's get back to the question of the night. Somebody else said, as far as, do you think it's good that our children are forced into learning technology so young? Someone said, I kind of think it's sad that kids just stare at a screen all day. The pandemic really hurts their chances to be social. I know, I know. I'm glad we have technology, right? Imagine what it would be like if we didn't. You wouldn't be able to see anyone. I'm so thankful for FaceTime and things like that, but I appreciate what you're saying. And finally, we'll wrap up with this one. Someone said, I think it's good that kids are learning technology, but it also has to go hand in hand with exercise and a good diet. Yeah, we love that health policing. <laughs> Not everyone has to be healthy if they don't want to, but I appreciate what you're saying. Movement's good. Movement's... Oh man, I got to talk more about that, y'all. Yeah, get out there and move that body. Get some sunlight, get some vitamin D. We we're, Studies are showing it also helps um, with building up an immune system that'll be better able to fight something like COVID. So all those things do matter. Thank you for pointing that out. Question of the night is back up again for tomorrow night. So weigh in on that. As always, thankful to those that participate and are vulnerable. Coming up next though, um, be doing some DMs. But uh, back in two minutes, two minute promise, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all. Time to slide into some DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Send the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Church and Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. It's a long one, but uh, just hang in there with us. Hey, Dr. Chris. I'm a 35-year-old Latina from California. I'm writing to you because I noticed something about my husband, and I don't know how to handle it. He works as a security at a school, and they got some new teachers since the beginning of the year a few weeks ago, so he's been going out after work with them, which is fine. But last week, when I checked his location, he was at a local gay bar. When I asked him where uh, him and his friends went, he said a straight sports bar, which is nowhere near where he really was. I let it go because, I don't know, maybe he was embarrassed or something. But it happened more than once. Finally, after the third time, I called him out on it, saying that I saw his location, and he said that one of the guys is gay and wants to support him. Okay, cool. But now, he's staying out later and later. And last week, I swear he had a hickey. Oh, He said he got into a fight at school. Just don't know what to do. And I can't go to my friends and family. Why can't you go to your friends and family about this? Is it out of respect for your privacy and his privacy? Because that's something I want, I want people to think about. I want everyone to get the care and support they need from their community, whoever they see as their family and community. But you also want to honor that we're at times maybe disclosing you know, private details of our partner's lives that we don't have a right to just offer to others. So it's like a really interesting fine line that is very hard to navigate sometimes. So I just want to throw that out there, and I'm hoping that's maybe what you meant. Um, but uh, you said, is my husband gay? Is he experimenting? I don't know. Well, uh, unfortunately, my answer back to you is I don't know either. You know, someone going to a gay bar with uh, a friend who's gay says nothing other than in our toxic masculine culture, I'm glad he feels secure doing that. Everyone should. Why would someone be afraid of a gay bar? What, like what? Nothing happens there. That. But um, is he gay? I don't know. Only he can tell you that. I would never attempt to diagnose someone's sexual orientation from afar like that. Um, I guess my first question is, are, do you have the kind of relationship where your husband can honestly and vulnerably share with you? Are you safe to be approached about topics? Were he to think maybe he's gay or bi or want to experiment, are you a safe space for him to process that? If not, that's why he's not telling you. And if not, he won't ever and shouldn't ever tell you. If you're not, I would tell him to not tell you. 
So if you, I would say first check in on if you think you're a safe space. And if you're not, work on slowly building the kind of relationship where you can talk about that. This might not be something that's solved right now. Some issues take months where you have to work on building enough intimacy and vulnerability where people feel safe really talking about this. And you should do it in a non-accusatory way, but honestly, I don't know how to answer that. Um, I'm glad that he's going out and spending time with friends. That's great. I'm glad you're supportive of that. Um, but you know, again, you, you've been with him, you know, who he is to you. Do you feel like your romantic and sexual needs are met with him? Do you feel like he's showing up as a good partner? If so, well then it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if he's gay or bi, he's with you and he's happy with you. The hickey thing. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> I mean, it's a funky one. I've had experiences as well where that happened. And I try to build relationships where we can talk about very vulnerable, difficult things. And so there's space that I build when I'm with someone to say, hey, that looks like a hickey to me. Can we talk about what, what that is on your neck? I mean, you have to talk to him about it. And so I want you to start working first on building the kind of relationship where those kind of difficult conversations can be had. Otherwise, he's not going to feel safe sharing. Because it might honestly just be that you're putting all these pieces together, but they don't all belong together, you know? So keep talking that out. Um, stay calm though, nothing to worry about. This person seems like they, they love you. You're still together, you know? But um, work on building something more intimate and safe and stable. Keep asking loving questions and um, circle back and let me know how that goes and we'll kind of take it from the next step. Uh, but there's no easy answer. This person themselves is the only one who can answer that for you. But I definitely am, am supporting you in not getting panicked and not worrying. Um, people sometimes have curiosities. Uh, but it's possible he doesn't at all. He's just supporting his friend and maybe something did happen on his neck. You know, sometimes we see what we want to see when we're not feeling secure or grounded. So, all right, good luck with that one. I know it's not simple. All right, y'all, we'll be back tomorrow. Um, but until then, check out past episodes on wearechannelq.com. And my uh, <laughs> reminder of the day, if you haven't voted, please do so. Check in on those around you. Make sure they have. Grab them. Go get in line. Bring a bag to lunch. People are waiting for long periods of time, but our lives literally depend upon this. So please focus on that and also focus on your self-care, joy, pleasure, and getting tons and tons of rest. God bless us. We need it. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out with me and you have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your night.